podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 26th of April. It is a glorious, sunshine-filled day. And we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, keep your data safe, change your location. If you need to access American Netflix or use your Now TV outside the country, it'll allow you to do that. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We are also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, we had a busy weekend. We had seven Premier League games and the EFL Cup final. We'll start there. Manchester City won, Spurs nil, another trophy for for Pep Guardiola another another trophy for Manchester City that's their eighth league cup that ties the record at Liverpool their fourth in a row ties the record at Liverpool and this was a one-sided game City dominated the game Spurs offered so little it was very very disappointing to see what a meek performance Tottenham put forward now, there will be arguments that maybe Americ Laporte shouldn't have been on the pitch by the time he scores the winning goal in the 82nd minute. But in truth, if he gets booked for the first yellow card offence, he probably doesn't make the second one. So I don't think there's any real strength. I did think the referee was a little bit soft, but I thought he was soft on both sides. Um, some people have said this game showed that City need a number nine. I disagree. I think if Raheem Sterling is having a Raheem Sterling-type season from the last two years, he, he probably has 20 to 25 goals in all competitions this season. Riyad Mahrez is playing well, but he's not a massive goal scorer. I think if you upgrade on him with a goal-scoring wide player, Oyarzabal from Real Sociedad, I think that's perfect. I don't like the 4-2-3-1 setup as much as I like it when they play 4-3-3. Can Sale stepping into midfield and things changing? I mean, it, it works the same way regardless, but it's a little more fluid from the 4-3-3 to go to that three-box three than it is from the 4-2-3-1. I felt like Pep started Fernandinho as a thank you for your service. Rodri should have started. would have given City a little bit more control in midfield, and it makes them a little bit more fluid in, in that build-up play. In terms of the Spurs lineup, I, I mean... Look, they're managed by a 29-year-old who has taken charge of his second game. So you can't really ask for a whole lot more. But the decision to start the two Harrys, Winks in midfield, who's not been a regular all season, to ask him to come into a game like that, a little bit much for me. Now, I know there was some 
talk about Endembele, maybe not been a hundred percent. I still think you start him. I think you start him or you start Sissoko. They've at least played more often this season than Winks. To go with Winks, Heusberg and Lacelso, it's a lot of slow footed midfield players. I know the, your your idea is get the ball, keep the ball, but who's tracking runners? from those three. Heusberg will do it well, but he's not the quickest. Winks and LaCelso aren't quick. But the bigger issue was starting Harry Kane. This is the second major final that Harry Kane has come into off an injury. Clearly not fit. I'd be amazed at fitness. Now, whether that's him insisting on playing and the club giving in to his demands because they're terrified he'll leave, or whether it's the manager forcing him to play. I don't know, but it's two different managers. Pochettino in the Champions League final against Liverpool and now now Sunday's game. I, I really don't understand why he would play and play the entire game when he's that far off the pace. Spurs basically played with 10 men at the weekend. The same as they played with 10 men in Madrid against Liverpool. And if it is him insisting on playing, he has hurt his team twice now in major finals. There is no excuse for him to have started that game. None at all. He should have been on the bench, brought on 15, 20 to go. You might have got something out of him. But why Ryan Mason started him, only Ryan Mason and Harry Kane know why he left him on for the entire 90. I, I really can't understand that. I really can't understand that. But we saw the same thing happen in Madrid. Harry Kane started. Harry Kane finished the game. And Harry Kane offered absolutely nothing for 90 minutes. And it's, it's a massive shame that the only two times in his career he's come really close to silverware into a final that he's gotten injured in the weeks leading up to it. But in truth, there's no argument to be made that he should have started either game. Now, there's obviously a lot of talk around Spurs now. And I saw a journalist known mostly for clickbait suggest that Daniel Levy has done a terrible job at Spurs and maybe it's time for him to go. And he listed off some things that Levy had done that he believes, you know, he's done wrong. Now, one trophy in, in the 20 years that Levy has been chairman is obviously not a great return by any means. But he, he said hiring and firing V.S. Boas, I didn't really understand what he meant by that. Because V.S. Boas did quite a good job at Spurs. V.S. Boas of the modern managers has the highest win percentage of any Spurs manager in history. 55%, just ahead of Pochettino, ahead of Mourinho, who's actually third in recent times. Hiring and firing Mourinho. Look, Mourinho is Mourinho. If you can get the man, you you take the chance. Now, 
it may now, it may be that no one will do that from now on. This is the first time in a long time that Jose has left a club without any silverware. But regardless of how things ended at United, remember how they started. League Cup, Europa League. Regardless of how things ended at Chelsea, remember that he won a League Cup and a League title. Won a league with Real Madrid against the greatest Barcelona team of all time. Maybe the greatest club side of all time. Won everything at Inter. Won won league titles at Chelsea. Won everything at Porto. When you have an opportunity to get Mourinho, you do it. Now, his stock will have taken a massive hit. That's absolutely without doubt. It's unlikely that he'll get another top job straight away. There, there will be some clubs, for sure, that will be interested in him. I don't think we'll see him in England again, if I'm honest. Because I don't think any club who hasn't already had him, and in the in the big six, that leaves Liverpool, who have Klopp, City, who have Pep, and Arsenal, who he bullied for years as Chelsea manager, and he's just left Spurs. Uh, it, in you know in failed circumstances so i don't think arsenal are going to touch him and nobody else could really afford him no one else could afford the wages and the backing that he would require so i don't think we'll see Mourinho in the premier league again but he will go elsewhere hiring and firing him was not a mistake by daniel levy the timing of the sacking is a little bit suspect and there's a lot of talk that you know if he jamie redknapp i think is the one who's pushed this most if they were in the top six, they would have had to pay him more money. If he'd won the cup final, they would have had to pay him more money, things like that. But that's not a reason to beat Daniel Levy over the head. Like, look at the stadium he's built them. It's the finest stadium in, in England. Without doubt, it is the best stadium in England. And it is going to be an absolute money machine for that club. Look at the squad he's helped them assemble. He has, of course, made mistakes. There can be no question he's made mistakes. Appointing Jack Santini. I mean, Juan de Ramos, you can say it was a mistake, but he did win a cup when he was there. Brought in Harry Redknapp. Like I said, Villas-Boas did really well in terms of win ratio. Mixed results at times, but a good manager nonetheless. Brought in Pochettino. Everybody thought that was a gamble of one season at Southampton. And everybody does that Mourinho move. And the thing with Pochettino is that you can say, oh, he fired Pochettino, but by all accounts, Pochettino fired himself. Pochettino's head was elsewhere for months before that. And their league form had been dreadful for the last four months of the previous season, as well as the first few months of last season. So what was he meant to do? Pochettino had taken himself away from the squad, didn't travel home with them after the Champions League final, constantly linked to United, to PSG, to Real Madrid, to Barca, did absolutely nothing to dampen those links. So for me, I look at it and I think I don't really have an issue with any of the managerial moves, with the exception of Santini, but there were mitigating circumstances around that. They did get Martin Yole out of it, and Yole did pretty well while he was there. But 
I don't think you can really look at his managerial track record and say, you know, the hiring and firing of managers that, that Levy's done a bad job. I think he's done quite well over a 20-year period. Who's done better? That's been in, well, there's nobody been in the game that long in the Premier League. But, like, look at Chelsea's last 10 years. How many managers they've had. Look at United's last 10 years. Look at Liverpool's last 12 years. It's not, it's not a bad run by Levy. One of the mistakes he's made is not, not appointing a really good director of football. That was what he should have done. He should have appointed a director of football and allowed that director of football to appoint the manager. He should have built a structure that would work regardless of who the coach was. He hasn't done that. There were strong rumours when Mourinho arrived that Luis Campos from Lille would arrive as the director of football. He'd had a very strong relationship with Mourinho. He'd worked with him before at Real Madrid. So that was the rumor that he, he would arrive and, you know, you see what he did with um, what he did with Monaco, what he did with, with Lille. Uh, you know, he, he built the team that is potentially winning the title in France this year. He built that Monaco team that won the title and, you know, he's been out of work now for a couple of months. You could have appointed him. They didn't. That, that's, that's the biggest failing of Daniel Levy era. Signing up to the, big, to, the, to the Super League is absolutely not a failing. It's what every chairman should have done. It's what every chairman would have done if given the opportunity. Spurs couldn't afford to get left behind. They are the smallest of the big six. They're the kind of the newest members of it, if, if, if you want. Now, they they found their way into it in an organic manner. They built their club up over time. City obviously bought their way in. Chelsea bought their way in. Liverpool, United and Arsenal were sort of the founding members of it as a big three. But Spurs are the newest and the smallest of that group. They also have the, less cash, the, the least cash. So they absolutely had to be involved. If they weren't involved, Everton would have been involved. You know, Everton would have said yes, whether they want to stand on, on the mountaintop and shout that they're, you know, the saviors of the game or not. Everton would have been involved. Somebody else would have been involved and Spurs would have been left behind. And all the good work that they've done over the last 20 years would have been for nothing. They'd have had that big fancy stadium and they'd have been the seventh best team in England every single year. At best, the seventh best. Because that Leicester team is pretty good. but. It is what it is with Levy. He's just it's unfortunate for him that, you know, there hasn't been more silverware. One of the reasons is they continue to play Harry Kane when he's half fit in finals. But I've said this before, I don't think that Spurs team's a million miles away from being really good. I think if you upgrade on, on Lloris, who's past his best at this point, I think you want Two centre-backs. One definitely, ideally two. But look, if you can get one really good one, that's fine. And a better right-back. I think that's... Like, if you've got Endombele and Heusberg as a midfield two, with Bergvine or Mora um, and Son out wide, and then 
hopefully what we will see now is the resurgence of Deli Ali behind Harry Kane. You don't you're not a whole a whole lot off. You've got good depth there. Like a lot of their starting centre backs would be very good backup centre backs. They've got a decent backup left back. Either of their right backs would make a good backup right back. They've got depth in midfield with Winks and Sissoko and people like that, and they can bring back the, the chap who's on loan at Norwich. They've got Lamella. They've got, yeah, Ollie Skip. Yeah, sorry, that's the one guy. Ollie Skip, the one who's on loan at Norwich. They can bring back, um, oh, they've got Lamella as a backup, say, to Delhi. They've got the, whichever of Mora and Son, uh, Mora and Bergwijn isn't starting. They do need a backup for Kane. That's that's quite clear. But it's not it's not a massive amount. They're not miles and miles away the way some people are making them out to be. But whoever they decide to go for as manager, they need to appoint a director of football first and foremost. They just need to do that. Daniel Levy can't be responsible for running all facets of the club. He has to hand off power of one area, and it is the football side of things. Let him run the business side. Let someone else run the football side day to day, obviously under his watch, but get a director of football and then go and find yourself the right manager. And whatever you do, whatever you do, do not listen to the morons on Sky telling you to appoint Scott Parker. Scott Parker is doing a flat-out bad job this year with Fulham. Just bad. He is taking them down. He is doing that. That is a mid-table squad without a doubt. Any competent manager keeps that team up comfortably. Scott Parker is taking them down without much of a fight. Do, Do not appoint Scott Parker. Do not appoint Graham Potter because he's just not ready for that level of job yet. When a man is actively starting his team with nine men on the pitch, He's not ready for a top six job. So don't appoint him either. Of the Premier League managers that have been linked, Brendan Rodgers is the only one that will be acceptable. But even then, you can still do better. Allegri is available. Sarri is available. I'm sure you can get in the mix for a couple of others. Don't appoint Graham Potter. Don't appoint... Scott Parker. If you're if you're left with the two of them and no one else wants it, appoint Potter. Absolutely, under no circumstances appoint uh, appoint Scott Parker. He's a bad manager with terrible dress sense. Man was wearing two cardigans the last time I saw him. Two cardigans. Um, we'll move on. Premier League matches: Arsenal nil, Everton one. Friday night, uh, a a fairly mediocre game of football. Arsenal were poor, disappointing. Um, a nothing game, really. Not a whole lot of anything happened. Arsenal had a lot of shots, very few of them on target. Dominated possession, failed to really create a whole lot of anything. Everton offered even less. One shot on target, uh, it wasn't their goal. Their goal came from an absolute howler by Bernard Leno. Uh, Richarlison with a cross that Leno managed to knock into his own net somehow. Richarlison then embarrassed himself and the whole nation of Brazil by dancing to celebrate an own goal. Um, 
I've said before, Leno is not the goalkeeper Arsenal fans think he is. But Arsenal have fallen so far that their fans are just clinging to anything. I saw a thread this morning on Twitter where they were uh, regaling with tales of Lauren Koscielny as a top three centre-back in Europe. Lauren Koscielny was never a top three centre-back in London, let alone Europe. Um, average, painfully average, same as Leno, error-prone, in big games, he will let you down. For Arsenal, their rebuild is going to involve multiple steps. They're probably going to have to stick with Leno for another season. But to, for them to get where they want to go, he has to go. He has to be replaced. He'd be a fine backup, but I don't think he'd accept that role. Um, reports this morning about Arsenal's plans for the rebuild don't make good reading. We'll get to them later on after the break. Uh, but this is a bad result for Arsenal, but it is was kind of predictable. Um, they're, they've been poor at home, and Everton are better on the road than they are at home. For Everton, first win, I think, in five. Um, keeps them in eighth, keeps them in touch with the pack ahead. If they beat Aston Villa in their game in hand, they will jump to sixth. Uh, so they're still in the mix for European football. Um, they may well get that anyway, depending on how the, the cup competitions shake out. They have Aston Villa twice in the league, home and away. They've got West Ham away, Sheffield United at home, Wolves at home, and then Manchester City away. I could see them splitting the games with Villa, each team winning one. I, I think they'll beat Sheffield United I think they'll beat Wolves, but you just don't know because that game's at home. They'll lose to City away, and I'd expect them to lose to to Everton or to West Ham and Moyes. Um, eighth is about fair on what they've put forward this season. They should have been better. Injuries have hurt them, but also inconsistencies and just flat out being really bad at times. For Arsenal, they're tenth. They're one point ahead of Villa. A bottom half finish would be extremely embarrassing for them. Um, they have Villarreal in the week in the Europa League. Then they get Newcastle away, Villarreal again. And then they finish off with West Brom at home, Chelsea away, Crystal Palace away, and then uh, Brighton at home. So winnable games bar the Chelsea one. Even that they'll have a chance in because Chelsea are just a strange thing, a strange team at the moment. But they're not really going to get much higher than ninth. Ninth is about their ceiling. They're, they're six points behind Everton, and Everton have a game in hand. So while they may jump leads and get ninth, they could just as easily drop to 11th. You just don't know with this Arsenal team. They're such a strange collection of footballers. They don't really belong on the same pitch together, some of them. Like, that back four that played, Callum Chambers is a centre-back who got miscast as a right-back early in his career and never really managed to get out of playing right-back. Um, Rob Holding, I mean, he, as your fifth centre-back at that level, fine. Fourth centre-back, even a, a stretch. Grand. Palomari's a good centre-back, but for me, again, he's a third centre-back if I'm trying to do anything in the league. Granit Xhaka just isn't a left-back. He's barely a Premier League-caliber midfielder, 
how do you how are you going to think he's going to play left back? Um, Richarlison made him look dreadful in the build up to that goal. Thomas Partey is a very good player, but Danny Ceballos clearly doesn't want to be there. Clearly doesn't have any interest. Knows he's not getting kept, so I don't know why he's still playing. Saka, Smith Rowe, and Pepe are all really good. Saka and Smith Rowe are sensational young talents. Pepe is a quality player, and left wing definitely suits him better than right wing. And Eddie and Ketty up front, he's another big time talent. He's he's one they should be looking to have as part of their core moving forward. But that's just a bizarre team. You look at the bench, you've got Hector Be- Bellerin and Cedric Soares there. So you've got two right backs on the bench, and you're playing someone who should be a centre back. You've got your best centre back, Gabriel, sitting on the bench. Martin Odegaard sitting on the bench. Willian should stay on the bench. Elneny, like, he's done really well this season. Why, why not put him in the team instead of Ceballos? Gabriel Martinelli, another one, big part of the future. Reese Nelson should be a part of the future, but it looks like they've blown that one. Um, Arsenal are a mess. They just are, and they're going to do something stupid this summer. I can already feel the stupidity emanating from the Emirates. Saturday morning, Liverpool won, Newcastle won, about as one-sided as a game as you'll see all season. Liverpool absolutely battered them. Now, they did give up some chances without question, but they absolutely tormented Newcastle. Should have been at least 5, well, probably 5-1 up at halftime. Should have scored at least two more in the second half. Missed countless chances, and then Jurgen Klopp's management in the second half was just an atrocity. Liverpool were dominant in a 4-2-3-1. Yes, they were allowing some chances, that's natural when you don't have a, a real holding midfielder. To bring on James Milner to hand the momentum to Newcastle and then to take off Thiago later on and bring on Curtis Jones, who hasn't played in weeks. When Thiago was the best player on the pitch running the game, uh, baffling decisions by Klopp. Absolutely baffling. Newcastle had a goal disallowed on 92 after a handball by Callum Wilson, accidental handball, but handball nonetheless. But Liverpool didn't learn their lesson, and uh, Joe Willock, for the second game in a row, steps up to uh, to bag a late goal for the tune. It, it, this game summed up Liverpool's season, really, really did. Um, Liverpool are sixth, four points off Chelsea, five points off Leicester, who have a game in hand. Liverpool have fairly bottled this uh, end of season run, and as they've bottled most of the season, in truth. They've got Manchester United next, then they get Southampton at home, West Brom away, Burnley away, and Crystal Palace at home. So that's four draws. Um, it, it just a, a null and void the whole thing. Dreadful season for the Reds. Um, Newcastle, they have Arsenal at home next, then Leicester away. Man City at home, Sheffield United at home, Fulham away. The next three are tough. I think they'll get something against Newcastle. They likely lose the. They'll get something against Arsenal. Rather, they likely lose the following two, but they should win at least one of the last two games. Newcastle will be fine. Um, they're nine points clear of Fulham, with Fulham having five games left. That's. They're not going to overhaul nine points. Fulham's last five are Chelsea, Burnley at home, Southampton away, 
Manchester United away and Newcastle at home. So they'll lose to Chelsea, you'd imagine, and you'd imagine they'll lose at Old Trafford. They would then need to win their last three games, including that game against Newcastle. So all Newcastle really have to do is, is get a draw or beat Sheffield United. The tune will be fine. Absolutely fine. No worries for them at all. Um, and, you know, Steve Bruce maybe gets another year's contract. Uh, West Ham nil, Chelsea won. This is kind of typical of West Ham in bigger games this season. Um, really disappointing, flat performance. Just didn't play the way they normally would play. Chelsea looked pretty good, played some good football, moved the ball well, kept the goalkeeper honest, forced some good saves at a Fabianski. Uh, Timo Werner scored the goal just before half time. He then missed a sitter shortly after half time on the follow up to Mason Mount effort. This game, the most notable thing about it, though, is the red card. Balbuena clears the ball. As he clears the ball, he catches Ben Chilwell's leg. And because Chilwell is moving away, it sort of brings Balbuena's leg with him. In no way is it even a foul. It's not even a free kick. He does nothing wrong. And somehow he gets sent off. It's a shambolic refereeing decision. Another disgraceful VAR moment. Um... There's just there's no logic behind that red card. That red card should really be overturned, and hopefully it will be. Chelsea fourth, um, one point off Leicester with a game played more. Their run-in is is difficult. They've got Fulham next. So well, they've got Real Madrid next. That's the Champions League tomorrow night. But they've got Fulham next in the league, then Real again, then Man City away, then Arsenal at home. Then Leicester away, then Aston Villa uh, away. They've also got Le- uh, Leicester in the FA Cup final. So it's a lot of games. It's a lot of games between now and the end of the season. Eight, potentially nine if they make the Champions League final. It's a lot of games to cram in. But. Tuchel has them playing well, it must be said. Thomas Tuchel has done very, very well since taking over. Um, he's using the squad well. He's he's rotating very well, using different players in different positions. The lack of goals is, is the big issue for them, but they do look like a good bet now for top four. Uh, West Ham, unfortunately, are the ones who lose out the most because of that. West Ham's running is Burnley away, Everton at home, Brighton away, West Brom away, and Southampton at home. Now, look, there is that's five winnable games. There is always the possibility that West Ham string together, you know, three wins and two draws, four wins and a draw, five wins. They're absolutely capable of beating every one of those teams, but they have been a little bit iffy lately. That is back-to-back defeats. It's also back-to-back games with red cards to centre-backs, but, you know, that is what it is. Um, I wouldn't be fancying West Ham's chances of of stringing out the results they need, even with the easier running than Chelsea have. 
I think they may have blown it. It's it's unfortunate, but I, they've they've overperformed all season. Like they're they're not the fifth best team in England, but this season they have played like that. Credit to them. It's been a really really impressive run. I just I don't see them winning uh, enough games to overhaul Chelsea. Final game on Saturday then was Sheffield United won Brighton nil. This was a fairly disappointing game of football. Brighton dominated. Brighton had all the best chances. Uh, comedy defending from Brighton gifted David McGoldrick the goal on 19. And then comedy finishing from Neil Mope kept them in front. Graham Potter made the aggressive decision to start nine players in two empty shirts. It didn't work for them. This is an embarrassing result. An embarrassing result for Brighton. Sheffield United had 14 points coming into this game. How are you losing to that? They hadn't won in weeks and weeks and weeks. For the Blades, they stay bottom, obviously, 17 points. Tottenham away, Palace at home, Everton away, Newcastle away, and Burnley at home to finish the season. Hopefully they pick up another win or two, but it's irrelevant. They're down. It is what it is. But for Brighton, they're now they're still in, in trouble now. So they've got a difficult run-in. They've got Leeds at home, Wolves away, West Ham at home, City at home, and Arsenal away. That's a really tough last five games. They do have a seven-point lead over Fulham. They should be fine. But at the same time, they shouldn't be in this mess. They really should not be in this mess. But in the mess they find themselves. And unfortunately for Graham Potter, it's, it's, it is largely down to him. It is just largely down to him. He has not managed well in, in quite a while now. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's got the potential to be excellent. There's a lot of good players there at, at Brighton. He is not making the most of them. And he continues to play players that turn in four out of ten performances for reasons known only to him. Um, Sunday then began with Wolves nil, Burnley four. Burnley scored four goals in a Premier League match, three of them in one half. Chris Wood with a hat-trick before half-time, embarrassing Connor Cody all along the way. Connor Cody's performance in this game is about as bad as you will ever see from a Premier League caliber centre-back. It was atrocious. Chris Wood dribbled past him multiple times. Chris Wood sent him for newspapers on two different occasions. Wood scored on 15, 21 and 44. Mattia Vidra had a goal chalked out. I should point out that Roman Sice and Willie Bolly were off, also awful, but neither got close to the level of Connor Cody in this game for the comedy factor. Wood got an assist uh, setting up Ashley Westwood in the 85th minute. Really, really good finish from Westwood from the edge of the area. 4-0 was a fair reflection. Uh, Wolves can't have any complaints. Can't have any complaints. You would imagine Sean Dyche was livid at, at all these goals going in, but 
Burnley were, were excellent. Absolutely excellent. It was, they were actually really good to watch as well. Played really nice football. Moved the ball well. Since going to the to the big one and the small one, front two, Burnley have just looked a lot more of an attacking threat. I still think they need someone more natural on the right-hand side than Brownhill, who's a central midfielder by nature. But, you know, if you're going to play him there, at least get an attacking right-back in the team. But Dwight McNeil, again, very, very good. He's... I, I would be surprised if Dwight McNeil doesn't get big offers this summer. Uh, Leeds nil. Oh, sorry. Uh, end of season. Wolves are 12th. They're four points behind Villa. Three ahead of Palace. So Palace do have two games in hand, though. Um, one of them, obviously, tonight, but... Wolves is just a, it's a disappointing season, and this game sort of summed them up. Uh, they end the season with West Brom away, Brighton at home, Spurs away, Everton at home. No, sorry, Everton away. Sorry, Everton away, and Manchester United at home. It is a very difficult run in the last three games in particular. I'd imagine they will want big revenge over West Brom having lost the first um, Black Country derby, and it would confine West Brom to relegation. So I'd imagine they'll want some of that. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard to see where the points come from when they're playing this badly. It really is. Burnley jumped to 14th. Um, only two points behind Palace, but again, Palace have two games in hand. Uh, level on points, but better goal difference than Southampton. Southampton have a game in hand on them. For Burnley, their last five, West Ham at home, Fulham away, Leeds at home, Liverpool at home, Sheffield United away in the last day of the season. They probably do need another point or two just to be 100% certain, but they should pick up a point or two along the way. Dyche isn't letting letting them go down, not a chance. And then hopefully uh, they will back him this summer because um, God knows the man deserves it. Uh, Leeds nil, Manchester United nil. Leeds' impressive run of not losing at home to any of the big six continues. Um, United were the better team for for spells, but Leeds, there's just something about them. And in truth, they should have had a penalty. Luke Shaw 100% handled the ball with his arm in an unnatural position. He leaned out with his elbow, handles the ball. It should have been a penalty. It wasn't given. Uh, Leeds didn't complain too much to their credit, but yeah, I mean, United had the better chances. Melier made one great save from a Rashford free kick. Um, I thought Bruno Fernandes had a poor game. That's largely what happens when United don't score. Calvin Phillips was brilliant. Cal- Calvin Phillips was the best player on the pitch. And um, if United are serious about signing a defensive midfielder this season, this summer, he should be high on the list. Now, I don't think he'd leave Leeds at the moment. But I think a lot of clubs could do could do well to look at him. He is a very, very good player on and off the ball. He just has a little bit of everything about his game. I, I really like him. I really like Calvin Phillips. I think he could play for pretty much anybody in, in the Premier League. Good on the ball. Really hard worker. Aggressive in the, in the ta- tackle. Tough as nails. Doesn't shirk anything. 
just goes and goes and goes. Incredible engine. His passing is, is so underrated. He's an excellent pass to the ball. And he's got versatility to his game as well. So, yeah, uh, Calvin Phillips was, for me, was one of the best players of the weekend. If, if, if my good friend Garth doesn't pick him in his team of the week, I'll be abusing him this week as well. Um, for United, they're second. They're going to finish second. They have, um, Roma on Thursday in the Europa League, then Liverpool at home, Roma again. Then they go Villa away, Leicester at home, Fulham at home, Wolves away. So the next three will be difficult enough. I think the last two are, are will be fairly straightforward. But they're going to finish second. They were always going to finish second once Liverpool fell apart. So it is what it is. Um, they won't win the league, but they'll finish a comfortable second. I think that's that's about all they would have asked for at the start of the season. Um, they may well win the Europa League. They're probably the favourites to win it. Uh, Oli does have a history now, though, of bottling semi-finals, so we'll see. But all things considered, I think it's been a successful season for United, if not necessarily, you know, a great season. A um, lot of poor performances that they managed to turn into wins. We'll see if that can carry over into next season. You know, next season is going to be a lot more competitive, I think, than this season. Um, for Leeds, they're ninth in the league. A point ahead of Arsenal. That's a, a brilliant result at this point of the season. They've got Brighton away next. Then Tottenham at home. That's the last of the big six to come to Allen Road. See if they can continue that run of not losing at home to any of them. Then they go Burnley away, Southampton away, and West Brom at home. So there's there's a lot of points left for Leeds, potentially. The, the trips to Burnley, Brighton, and Southampton won't be easy. But they're winnable games. They should beat West Brom at home. And to be fair, they should beat Spurs at home, given how Spurs have, have looked. Bielsa should just have his have his way with Ryan Mason. Um, final Premier League game of the weekend then was Aston Villa 2, West Brom 2. Comedy defending galore in this game. Like... There was some shocking defending over the weekend, genuinely. Uh, Wolves, obviously. Uh, Brighton. Liverpool. It, the last four minutes was just hilarious. But this this game was just bananas. So El Ghazi scores from a penalty after nine minutes. Barkley fouled absolutely brainless by Sammy Agee. To foul him, where he fouled him, and how he fouled him. Barkley goes down, El Ghazi steps up and scores. And Villa look comfortable at this point. Villa look like they, they'll win this game three or four. 23 minutes in, Callum Robinson falls over and grabs his leg because Ezri Konza put his hand on his shoulder. Now, to me, and I didn't see enough replays, but to me, it looked like a really bad decision by the VAR. I didn't think it was a penalty, but it was. And that, unfortunately for Konza, sort of set his day off. So the se- the second West Brom goal, he makes another mistake then just after that. Then the second West Brom goal just into the second half. He does really well to get into position, control the ball, then he slips. 
Callum Robinson, uh, no, sorry, Diagne gets through on goal, shoots. It looks like it's going wide. Tyron Mings, for reasons known only to Tyron Mings, throws his leg out at it and deflects it past Emmy Martinez and into the net. Shortly after that, then, Konza almost scores an own goal. And then Villa managed to get a late equaliser. They deserved it. They they were battering the door uh, for, of West Brom for probably the last 15 minutes, really. Um, and 24 shots in, in the game, 11 on target. They they worked Sam Johnston quite a lot in this game. But Keenan Davies, I think, I believe it's his first goal of the season. It's the first I can remember anyway, and I'm, I'm not going to check it because it's Keenan Davies. Um, yeah, I mean, scores in the 92nd minute on a another defensive lapse, another more comedy defending and a goalkeeper not knowing what he's meant to be doing or where he's meant to be. I, I just... The, the caliber of defending in the league this season has been shocking. And Ezri Konza has been one of the few who've risen above it. One of the few that can look at his season and go, I haven't had a stinker yet. He had an absolute nightmare in this game. Now, having carried Tyron Mings for the last, well, 13 months or however long it's been since he went into centre-back next to Mings, eventually it was going to rub off on him. He had a Tyron Mings-type performance in this game. Of course, Mings also had a Mings performance in this game, but when both of them do it, Villa concede two, and it is what it is. Uh, Villa are 11th. They do have that game in hand against Everton. So they've got Everton twice. They've got United at home. They've got Palace away, Tottenham away, and Chelsea at home. That's a difficult run it is a difficult run. And you could see them, like I said earlier, splitting the games with Everton where they win one each. And then perhaps they beat Palace away. But the other three, I wouldn't have much in the way of faith for them to pick up that kind, of, those kind of results. Um, for West Brom, they are 19th. They're two points off Fulham. They're nine points off safety. And their run-in is Wolves at home. West, uh, sorry, Arsenal away, Liverpool at home, West Ham at home, and Leeds away. It's a, it's a really, really tough running. And unfortunately, they've just left themselves far too much to do. They've conceded far too many goals, and um, they didn't address the defence at any point. So they only have themselves to blame. Uh, so they will go along with Sheffield United. We know so far that Norwich are coming up. And Watford are coming up. So two of the teams that were relegated last season look like they're coming back up. The other team who were relegated last season were, of course, Bournemouth. Bournemouth are going to be in the playoffs along with Brentford, Barnsley and Swansea. So we could well see Norwich, who finished 20th, come back up as first. Watford, who finished uh, 19th, come back up as second. And then Bournemouth, who finished 18th, come back up through the um, through the playoffs. Now, Bournemouth have turned their season a couple of times, but their recent run of form has been excellent. Really, really excellent. They're on a really impressive run under Woodgate, which is credit to him because he's not a good manager. But he, they're on a really good run of form. Barnsley are the team that I would love to see come up because... What they have done, their run of form, it has been incredible. 
Barnsley have been fantastic. Um, after a disastrous start to the season and losing their manager when uh, Gerhard Struber decided to head off to the MLS to manage New York Red Bulls. Barnsley have just turned things around. I mean, they were in the relegation zone when Struber left. Struber left October 6th. At that time, Barnsley had played four and lost three. They were 22nd. And they have just slowly inched their way up the league. They got as high as fifth. They're now sixth. But they've just turned things around brilliantly. They're on a small budget. They're a really good story for the year. Um, obviously, you know, there'll be a lot of want for Brentford to come up as well. Um, it would be Barnsley's second season in the Premier League. And hopefully it will go better than their first. But the playoffs will be fun. Um, as, as things stand, it'll be Brentford versus Barnsley in one semi-final and Bournemouth against Swansea in the other. I kind of want that to change a little bit. I would like to see the Brentford-Barnsley final. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't be against Swansea or, or Bournemouth coming up. But, um, yeah, Norwich and, and Watford, congratulations to them. Look forward to talking about them next season. Um, we'll have to start digging into them to see what they what they may need in the transfer market this summer. But, uh, yeah, that is that. So those are the Premier League games this weekend. That is all seven of them and the EFL Cup. We're going to take a quick break and come back and we'll wrap up with news and gossip. Right, welcome back. Um, hope you enjoyed those ads, courtesy of ACAST. Um, David Ornstein has his Monday column out. And good news for Arsenal fans is that the Gunners are planning to start contract talks with Emil Smith-Rowe, having secured a new contract with uh, Bakayo Saka last year and recently agreeing a new contract with uh, Fowler and Balogun. Now it looks like Smith-Rowe is next on the list, and rightly so. Um, he's about to enter the, the last two years of his current contract, and Arsenal can't afford to allow him to leave. He's, he's just far too talented. Um, so that will be big. As things stand, David Luiz is set to leave this summer as a free agent. That's good news for Arsenal. The loans for Danny Ceballos and Matt Ryan will end, and there's uncertainty around Hector Bellerin and Reese Nelson. Now, they should be looking to keep Nelson. Keep as many good young players as you can when they're homegrown, when they've come through your academy, when they care about the club. Try and keep holding him. Nelson has a lot of talent. He just needs a manager that's going to use him properly. And Arteta, you know, he is what he is. Bellerin, I would sell, absolutely. Lucas Torreira and, and Guendozi, they're on loan. Uh, apparently, they're for sale. Um, apparently, Maitland Niles is for sale. Apparently, Eddie and Ketia is available if, if a club is interested. I, I think these are baffling moves. No mention that Granit Xhaka might be available. So you're going to get rid of all these talented young players and keep him. You're going to get rid of the talented young striker and the talented young attacker in Nelson. You're going to give it another long-term contract to another soon-to-be 30-year-old attacker in in Lacazette. You're going to have Willian for the two years on that ridiculous contract. Have they not learned from the Osel situation? 
They're currently paying 90% of Mesut Ozil's wages. Mesut Ozil plays for Fenerbahce. Not on loan, permanently. Permanently contracted to Fenerbahce. And Arsenal are paying him £315,000 a week to play for someone else. And yet they gave Aubameyang the contract. They gave Willian a big contract. Now they're looking at Lacazette for a big contract. It wouldn't surprise me if David Luiz got a contract. They'll probably renew Granite. This is a team that is not serious about what they're doing. This is not a serious football club. Uh, Richard Garlick, the Premier League's director of football, has resigned with immediate effect. He was due to leave later this year and become director of football operations at Arsenal, but he has now decided to leave straight away. Um, whether or not he still takes that Arsenal job, no one knows. This has come obviously in the fallout of the um, the Super League. Now, I, I don't know whether it was suggested that he might have known something given he's in, been in such talks with Arsenal, but Garlic has done a really good job. He he was a big part of Project Restart. Um, he's obviously worked for West Brom for a number of years. I think he would have done quite well. He'll, he'll do quite well at Arsenal. He's a director of football operations, not to be confused, a director of football. He is someone that will help them on their day-to-day, but they still need a real director of football because Edu is way out of his depth. Um... Manchester United's fans are holding an emergency fans forum. What that's going to mean, I don't think it'll mean much. Um, there's been calls for Joel Glazer to front up, you know, and and come out and speak to the fans. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. He he doesn't doesn't tend to care. Um, it'll be like the managing director, the COO. They'll get the brunt of the fans' wrath, and nothing will change. So you know. What's what's everybody listen to the wrong people? That's all I'll say. Everybody listen to the wrong people. Um, one last thing actually on the um, on the Super League, five of the six clubs involved in from England, uh, Manchester United being the exception, along with Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus, are all shareholders in One Football. One Football has a streaming platform. Which, as I said last week, I think they were going to set up their own streaming platform. One football already has the basis for it. I genuinely think. Oh, look at this. Bayern Munich, PSG, Marseille, Dortmund, all investors in it. I genuinely think this would have been what they'd have done. They'd have set up a, um, a streaming service through One Football. Would have made so much sense. It really would have. Um, we'll finish up with the gossip and get you out of here this morning. Uh, Chelsea are ahead of Manchester United and Paris Saint-Germain in the race to sign Rafa Varane. He'd be a great signing for any of the three. I think he'll stay at Real Madrid. Uh, Guinea defender Ali Kamara, who plays for young boys in Switzerland, has caught the attention of multiple Premier League sides, including Liverpool, Arsenal, 
Crystal Palace, West Ham and Norwich. I'm going to guess that if he's attracted the attention of the of the last three, and probably no, probably if he's attacked attracted the attention of Crystal Palace and Norwich, he probably hasn't attracted the attention of Liverpool. He probably hasn't attracted the attention of West Ham or Arsenal. Now, unless he's just it's more a case that Palace and Norwich are being really ambitious. I'm going to have doubts over that one. Bayern Munich have opened talks to appoint Julian Nagelsmann as their new manager. Now, apparently Leipzig are asking for €30 million as a compensation fee. That is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. He's a very good young manager, but he's not won anything yet. He's still unproven. So let's, you know, let's be a little bit realistic. Arsenal are facing a dilemma over the future of Joe Willock, who is on loan at uh, Newcastle, with the Gunners needing to sell players to raise funds. Yeah, but you don't need to sell Joe Willock. Or Ainsley Maitland-Niles, or Lucas Torreira, or Guindosi, or William Saliba, or Eddie Nketiah. Not the players that can actually help you. Not the players that actually have potential to get better. Sell the ones that aren't going to get any better. Sell the ones that haven't been good enough. You've got loads of them, trust me. Uh, Arsenal are sceptical about how serious Spotify's billionaire founder, Daniel Ek, is about buying the club. He he said it on Twitter. I, I think if he was really serious, he probably wouldn't have said it on Twitter. Um, he is about half as wealthy as the Cronkies, so best of luck. Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola says Eric Garcia is set to join Barcelona on a free transfer. We've all known that for months, so you know, thanks for that, Pep. Uh, Diego Simeone is keen to sign Spain defender Cesar Aspilicueta from Chelsea. He would be an upgrade on Kieran Trippier. Uh, Kieran Trippier has had a decent season this season, uh, but Aspilicueta is better, and he's better defensively, and he's more suited to a Simeone style of football. Atletico bottling. Uh, La Liga is killing me at the moment. Manchester United and Liverpool could make a move for Torino's in-demand Italian striker Andrea Bellotti, who's also been linked with AC Milan, Roma and Inter Milan. Torino have lined up Cagliari's Brazilian forward, João Pedro, as a replacement. I would take Bellotti at Liverpool. I would. I think he'd be a better fit at United. If they want someone to replace Cavani, Bellotti's uh, a good a good fit there. Wolves are the latest club to be linked with a move for 23-year-old Chelsea England striker Tammy Abraham. Aston Villa, West Ham and Leicester are also interested. I've said before, I think Aston Villa is the perfect move for him. That's where I think he should go. I think he'd be brilliant there. Uh, Former Tottenham manager Harry Redknapp expects Harry Kane to remain at Spurs despite rumours about a summer exit. Well, by all accounts, Jamie Redknapp is now uh, a behind-the-scenes expert at Spurs, so I assume he's just told his dad. Spain striker Alvaro Morata said he would like to stay at Juventus, but a lot of time we don't we players don't have much choice as his loan deal from Syria side Atletico Madrid nears its completion. I think this might be one of those situations where neither club actually wants him. I he hasn't he hasn't done what Juventus brought him in to do. Um, he didn't do what Atletico brought him in to do. He didn't do what Chelsea brought him in to do. Morata is a 
a good player who would be better suited to playing for mid-table clubs. The fact that he has spent his career with Real Madrid, Juventus, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Atletico Madrid and Juventus again is staggering. Absolutely staggering. Um, for a player who's not not really a prolific goal scorer. He's only hit 20 once in his career. He's only scored more than 12 in the league once in his career, other than the Secunda Division with Secunda Division B, which is the third division in Spain. He's not a prolific goal scorer. About one in three. It's not what you want for that level of money. But I do think at a smaller club, I think as the focal point of an attack, Morata could do well. Would need to learn at 28 how to stay onside. Um, but a lot of teams have spent a lot of money on him for him to be fairly painfully average. Um, if he was, if he was English, I mean, he'd be, he'd be Bamford, Ings, that kind of level. Good, not great. Well-rounded, not great at any one thing. As the the main guy for that level of club, I think he'd be good. Uh, but he's been playing way out of his league for most of his career. Uh, and that's it. That is the gossip for today. That is all the news we have. Yeah, that's it. So what we've got this weekend, then we've got this week, we've got uh, Palace against Leicester tonight. So that should be a good game. Um, Leicester, obviously, last last time out, they beat West Brom. They looked really good. They've got a tough run-up. Southampton next, then Newcastle, then United, then Chelsea, and then Tottenham. So their running is difficult. So it's these couple of games that they need to rack up the points in to make sure that they get top four. Um, Palace, they're happy. They're mid-table. They'll be fine. Uh, so that's tonight. Then we've got Champions League tomorrow night um, with Chelsea against Real Madrid. And then it is Manchester City and PSG on Wednesday, I believe. Um, and then Thursday night, we have Arsenal against Villarreal and Manchester United against Roma in the Europa League. So we've got good football on most of the week. Something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. And the sun is out. It's a lovely day. So go outside and enjoy yourselves. Just go and sit in your garden, relax, chill out. Don't be worrying about anything. We're getting back to where we need to be. Things are on the move. Ollie's at the wheel. Um, see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.